This episode of the Two Fit Crazy in a Microphone podcast is brought to you by Allstate. Yep, that's right. You're in good hands with Ben Sayer, Sayer Financial Services. Uh, be covered when uh, mayhem strikes. Home and auto coverage with Sayer Financial Services, Allstate, 732-449-4433. Check them out. Get a quote. Get on it. Mayhem happens. Be covered. And who else, Christine? Contifit.com. Com. You heard it right, everybody. Contifit.com. The best in personal training, in coaching, running, in your overall health. You want to feel better. You want to move functional fitness and coming at you. Let's face it together. Trademarked facial fitness and rehabilitation program. Looking better, feeling better. And uh, it's time to make some great changes for you. Contifit.com. Also brought to you by High Five Health and Fitness. Create positive change in your life with High Five Health and Fitness. And uh, really, when was the last time you sat down and talked to somebody about your health and where you are right now and where there is areas that can be improved and what needs to be done to feel better? Uh, and that's what we do. So uh, check it out, highfivehealthandfitness.com. It is Christine Conte. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Take two, Conte. You ready to go? I woke up this morning. I was so <laughs> dizzy. I almost fell over. I don't know what's going on if I'm like getting sick or what, but like, I'm like, whoa. Stay whoa. tuned. Stay tuned for the whoa. outtake, uh, the outtake episode here. We yeah. got enough to fill an episode for sure. Hours and hours. Do of- you really have outtakes? I have everything that we've recorded. If we press no, record. No, the good stuff you don't record. Anytime I'm like, you should record this. And you're like, I'm not recording this. I'm like, you should. When Conti really goes, good. When Conti goes on her rants, when she flies in here two minutes before the show starts. Usually love there's it. a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. The reason is you were eating in your car, which is something that we discussed in episode 133 with the great Dr. Candace Setti. You're lucky I am eating in my car. Otherwise, I would die I because know. of time constraints and not eating. <laughs> I'm going to not wobble my head because I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> so that was an awesome episode. Episode 133. Fantastic. Dr. Candace Setti. Yes. She's amazing. San Diego. She's freezing out there because it's like in the 60s. Yeah, She told us. I know. We had, to, we had to bring her back to reality a little bit with that whole San Diego weather scene. But uh, we love her anyway. She's amazing. Awesome. I met her at SCW Mania. Um, she is someone who works with... Just she works with mindfulness, right? I'm going to say that first. She's a psychologist and works a lot with people and their eating behaviors. Correct. And changing, I wanted to say, weight loss management behaviors and just the way that people have a relationship with food and themselves and the world around them. She has a brick and mortar out in San Diego. That's kind of her business. It's called and Me Only Better. Isn't that great? MeOnlyBetter.com mm-hmm. is that website. And then she does a lot online. So she's got a WeightLossTherapist.com where she does online counseling all over the world. Mm-hmm. And then she she's, dropped on us that she also has a book that she talks about. Shatter the Yo-Yo. How fun is that? Yeah. Shatter the Yo-Yo. So a lot of it, what we talk about, and you'll listen because it's a fantastic uh, get your pens uh, out yeah, everybody for sure uh it, it, is that how little of it actually has to do with the food that you consume and everything else that they that how it really happens to you know be about the 
behavior and the attitude and the mindfulness of it and and just like everything else around it right health is not limited to your to what you eat and your movement right it's how you think it's how you feel and it's and it's all of those things and that's the true connection that these diets and and all of these things that's being pumped at us all the time and the stuff that works whether it's this or that um you know they that they fail to really address Right, it's just about the food that you're opening up your mouth and chewing and swallowing, and or lack of food that you're chewing and swallowing, and the calories and all this stuff that that really has is far little impact as as what does you know how you feel and how you like, your emotional and your behavior. So I mean, look, you can look no further, you know for years and years and years is I need to eat every three hours. I need to eat every three hours. Nowadays it's, I need to intermittent fast. I need to intermittent fast. Like it's just hey, like Brian, everything's this. Here's a pill. Yeah. Here's a shake. You're so, going to feel great. No, you're not. Stop. Stop it. Everybody. Let's, let's just, I'm going to grab your shoulders and just shake you at this point because this, this conversation today is, is really going to maybe open your eyes to some of the behaviors and some of the compulsions and obsessions that, that we may all have and fall into sometimes. And it's the real key and the real ingredient uh, to feeling good and being healthy that none of those diets or, or you know any of these fad stuff or any of that stuff addresses. It's the one thing that it leaves out, and it's the only thing that's really important. So I, I you know I really can't harp on it enough. It's perfect. She's fantastic and knowledgeable, and and a great person just to sit back and listen to so we're gonna let you do that and if you're feeling frustrated yeah yeah dr candace seti she's gotcha she's available for sure so uh and i think you'll like it and uh we're gonna roll with it episode 133 of the two fit crazies and a microphone podcast dr candace seti enjoy everybody Christine Conte. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are too fit crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, you know where it's at today? Uh, yeah. San Diego. It is. It's much <laughs> warmer than where we are at this moment. I'm looking at Christine right now. She's got a scarf on. <laughs> A, it's not even. It's not even Christmas and like yet. A vest. And a vest. Like, what's going on oh, here? Oh yeah, it's. It, I'm still traumatized from the 20 degree dip in temperature. Actually, it being that quick. it was 20 degrees in, it was 60 when I got up, and then it was 20, like five hours later. And um, snow. It snowed. And it did snow. We had our first yeah. snowfall. I sent the kids to school in sweatshirts. <laughs> Awful. What's the matter with me? Me and my arthritis. I'm like, I'm out of here. I came home and I'm like, Michael, pack your bags. We're going to Florida. He's like, the farthest I'll go is North Carolina. I'm like, good enough for now. It's fine. <laughs> but everything is fine in the land of milk and honey that is San Diego. So we well, it's are- cold in San Diego. Oh, tell us. Tell us. And then we'll introduce who you are. Go ahead. Tell us how cold it is, Candace. Is it 
sixties. Almost out here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think I think it might be about sixty. Shorts yeah. and t-shirt weather. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. So, episode one thirty-three, we have the amazing Candace Setti. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. Except you left the doctor part I out. I did leave the doctor part out. <laughs> doctor Candace said he. Because we're getting there. Um, I'm so excited <laughs> for our listeners, everyone to hear um, Dr. Candace Setti today because we love to bring you everything health and fitness and wellness and we talk about diet and, and clean eating and what we should be doing and we could always be learning and evolving and be better. But what we have yet to have on our podcast is to really talk about what is going on out there and why we are so passionate about doing what we're doing, working with people, peeling back the onion, and who better than someone who does this for mm-hmm. a living? Mm-hmm. Candace, tell our listeners, all right, so who are you, what do you do, and what's your specialty? <laughs> all right, let's start at the beginning. First of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Oh, you're welcome. Um, our pleasure. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, a certified nutrition coach, certified personal trainer, and certified weight management specialist. Um, And I, as you mentioned, I'm in San Diego. And I have a private practice here, brick and mortar practice, but I also offer all of my services online via um, video counseling sessions or online programs that people can do on their own. And primarily what I do is weight loss and weight management therapy which basically means I work with individuals who have struggled with yo-yo dieting, the on again, off again, the diet, you know, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight cycle. And I help them break free of that cycle, break their dependence on diets and ultimately lose weight and maintain that weight long-term via other avenues like lifestyle, behavioral change, and really kind of cognitive understanding, understanding their thinking, their behaviors, their self-sabotage and learning new ways to take control of things. So, so that's an uphill climb, right? All we hear about are the diets and this works for me. Mm -hmm. And then this is, is, you know, I read it at the checkout line on people magazine and, 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 and all (laughs) the, all the noise out there. My boyfriend told me to do some keto to lose five (laughs) pounds. (laughs) Right. Right. Take this pill and shake. I'm sure it'll work for the rest of your life. You'll feel great. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, that stuff is everywhere. We're inundated with it. So it's kind of all we think about. And the reality is those things work, but they only work for a short period of time while you're actually on them. And the average amount of time most people is on them is three weeks. Three weeks. That's about our attention span and our commitment level for something like that before we start to freak out a little bit and rebel against it or, you know, respond to the restriction effect of being on that diet. And we kind of end up, you know, backfiring and, and flipping the pendulum all the way to the other side. So they work. You can lose weight on them, certainly. But then what happens as soon as you go off them is you gain that weight back. And sometimes you gain even more weight back, right? Because you've possibly done damage to your metabolism, too, and that's making it even easier to gain weight back. And so that's where all of this frustration for people comes from. You know what I'm going to ask you? Know, you? It does all this damage. So yeah. you said that, you know, it works like or three three weeks it works sure what does work mean is that i mean something I mean, that people what can is... lose weight yeah i mean in, in essence in the short term that's what most people are looking for i'm going on the site because i want to lose weight and when i say it works you can lose weight doing any of those things whether it be keto whether it be a grapefruit diet whether it be cutting out all fat whether it be you know just 
following a macro ratio, whatever it is, you can lose weight doing that. The problem is just that you can't maintain it. And ultimately, that's what people want. It just the maintenance part doesn't have that that quick, sexy appeal that the the lose weight quick stuff does. Right. Right. People just keep jumping from one of those to the other and they, they never really end up feeling happy, feeling content, feeling well. Right. I, I, I try to say to people, I said, it, you know, and, and it works. Right. When and you said it and I say it, too, it works. But I think that even myself, I find myself to correct. Uh, you know, what I'm saying is that it has an effect. Right. Yeah. It, it has an effect. Oh, on I you. like that phrasing a lot better because it, it, there's something that's happening, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I think that work is kind of leads to the to the you know, the, the, the sign that it's a positive thing that it that it works. Yeah. But it has an effect. Yeah, I like that. Good. Yeah, I like that correction a lot. Very good, Brian. I'm proud of you. Yeah. All right, I'm done here. I'm done here. I'll see you guys later. He's leaving. He's leaving and Thank it's you. just good us night. now. Oh my gosh. So what is it so what is it that you see? What's the biggest um I guess population, the the biggest um I guess I would say you know, who do you normally work with? The, who the, normally the comes biggest, in? The biggest problem I see is binge eating behavior. And um, binge eating is also a disorder, a, a, a diagnosable, you know, mental health disorder, binge eating disorder. But binge eating behavior is even more common than binge eating disorder. And what that means is, you know, people who eat a lot in a small period of time and eat to the point where they're uncomfortably full, eat in a very, you know, numb, disconnected way just to be sort of stuffing themselves. And binge eating is a really, really common response to restriction, right? And restriction is the type of thing we see on most of these diet plans that we're talking about. And so it's, it's very, very common to see somebody go on a diet, a very structured, very restrictive diet. And like I said, maybe they do it and they, they stick with it pretty, pretty religiously for about three weeks. And then what tends to happen is about that three-week point, they binge they rebel, they fight back, right? They, they finally respond to all of that restriction that they've been imposing on themselves and they go 180 degrees in the other direction. And this starts to become a little bit of a trend for yo-yo dieters, right? Because again, they're on these diets all the time and then they keep binging in response. And some of them ultimately develop this disorder where it just happens all the time. But binge eating is has just run rampant in this country over the last 10 years, especially. I mean, binging disorder in and of itself didn't used to be a diagnosable psychological condition. And now it is because it's become so prevalent. And it's actually become the most common eating disorder in the United States, way more than anorexia or bulimia. So it's just become this issue because of all of this dieting that we're doing, which is really sad when you think about it. So let's let's stop right there for a second and mm-hmm. will you go into what the what are the normal I guess normal I hate to say that word but <laughs> the eating disorders that you see people come in mm-hmm. um again obviously you know we've had it we've seen this effect from all of these diets because we didn't have all of this back right. you know 40 years ago we could yep. infomercial and see 85 different diet programs being yeah. shoved yeah. down our throat. Like if you don't do this, you're not going to feel good. And all the propaganda, the for, the for profit in the business has, has it's, taken over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh know. yeah. It's a dieting is a, a multi-billion dollar industry. 
And obviously we know that a lot of people pushing these, Brian, and I've talked extensively about this, the people pushing a lot of these so-called diets, or mm-hmm. I should say, I hate saying this, the healthy lifestyles <laughs> are people that are not educated about any of this stuff. Um, uh-huh. You know, I hate to say it, but it's, it, uh, I know people. Anybody can do it. Susie Homemaker is like, hey, here's a program. And I'm like, okay, Susie, what do you know about this? And have you ever worked out a day in your life? Do you, do you know anything about nutrition or food or that? And they're like, no, but it worked for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, first of all, I don't know how well it worked for you. That's number one. Number two, um, you don't really know anything about it. Number three, do you know the ingredients or like even right. the exercise science between the workouts and the food and the, like, um, it's frightening. So mm-hmm. what, what is it that you're seeing now? What are the, um, what are the disorders that you work with? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I do treat eating disorders like the diagnosable ones, anorexia, bulimia, and, and especially, as I mentioned, binge eating disorder, but more commonly what I see and what I work with are people who just have been dieting maybe their whole lives and are sick of it or frustrated with it and simply want another way, but they don't know what that is. Because if you ask anybody on the planet, hey, how would you go about losing weight? (laughs) What's everybody's answer, right? I'm going to go on a diet because it's all we know. It's all we're taught. You know, we're inundated with the concepts, whether it be through social media or television or magazines or whatever it is. I mean, dieting is the answer, right? You just go on a diet and you lose weight. Calorie restriction, yeah. right? We just uh, do that. Let's, we... let's reduce calories and let's exercise more. That's right. it. That's the answer to everything, right? But, you know, it's it's all of these people and it's, it's a huge percentage of our population that are just frustrated because we know the statistics, right? We know that 98% of diets fail. We know that it's, it's a little less than 2% of the population that are able to go on a diet, lose weight, and then maintain that weight loss. And that's nothing, right? That's just a blip on the radar. And yet we also know that at any given point in time, about 60% of women are on a diet. So we know they don't work and we know that most of us do it. And what does that say is it says that we don't know another way. And so that's when people come to me is when they're, they're over it, they're done with it, they're frustrated and they want to find another way. And that's what I help them do. And, and then what, how do you take them through it? What's the, um, you know, I guess there's the, everybody's different. So, you know, yes. there's going to be, uh, certainly some, some, uh, investigative, uh, you know, uh, questioning on your part just to kind of see where they're at and everything. But, but for generalized, you know, for, for the audience, how would you really take it from there to get them away from that thought process or, you know, just, just take them in your direction? Well, there's, like you said, obviously it is not a one size fits all approach. Everybody is different. Everyone has their, their different strengths. Everyone has their different kind of trigger points, trigger areas, or what I like to call danger zones. Um, and what we do is we go through a process of kind of identifying that, you know, helping people understand how they get in their own way, what, um, behavioral triggers or lifestyle factors are contributing to their success or their lack of success or creating obstacles or barriers for them. And then kind of creating action plans to help address that, whether that be kind of changing structure in their day or learning to change some of their unhealthy thinking patterns that set them up for failure or set them up to not be able to succeed long-term. But for everybody, it's different. And a lot of it has to do with looking at our thinking, looking at our behavior and looking at, 
you know, how we structure our day, whether that be, you know, if there are certain times of day where we tend to eat emotionally, or are there certain types of day where we feel kind of disconnected from our food and eat mindlessly? Are there certain situations where we have kind of this all or nothing thinking mentality where we go, you know, and say, screw it, I'm not even going to bother and I'm going to eat everything and not think about it and start again on Monday, right? What are really the barriers to maintaining any kind of long-term success? And once you know that, once you understand that, then you can start to put plans in place that really represent really small, simple changes that amount to really major long-term success. So the, the first step is obviously looking at what's going on. And then once you have an understanding of that, we can say, okay, these are some things that we can do to change that. And oftentimes they, they center around these bigger things like emotional eating, mindless eating, or, you know, these, these maladaptive thinking patterns, thinking in this black and white kind of idea or, or thinking in this negative focused way and, and working on changing some of that. So will you give us some specific examples? Obviously, names are, you know, protected for reasons. But (laughs) tell, you know, with what you're talking about, what what would our, you know, what could our listeners expect from, you know, going to someone like you or working with someone like you online? Mm -hmm. Well, so usually where I start is, you know, obviously getting background, right? Understanding um, individuals' history with diets, their history with weight, um, and then also their, their self-perspective, how they feel about themselves. And where I almost always start with people is, is gauging their basic self-care. What are they doing to take care of themselves? Because so many aspects of self-care tie into long-term weight loss and weight management. Um, things like stress management, things like hydration, things like sleep quality, right? All of these aspects of self-care that if they are not where they need to be, all the other stuff is almost irrelevant, right? If you're not, if you're in a constant state of dehydration or you're getting three hours a night of quality sleep or your stress is off the hook, then it doesn't matter what else we do from a a food standpoint, from an eating structure standpoint, from a relationship with food standpoint, because all that other stuff needs to get under control first. So that's almost always where I start because it's the most direct route and it's usually a simple place to get started. So I'll look at those, those three things and look at how we can change that if necessary. Um, and then from there, once we kind of have that stuff under control, I look at um, relationship with food, right? Eating behaviors. Are we eating for the most part out of hunger or are we eating for other reasons? Are we eating because we're bored? Are we eating because we're anxious? Are we eating because we're sad? Are we eating to escape? Are we eating as a distraction? Are we eating for avoidance or self-soothing, right? What are we using food for? And, you know, that's not actual satiation. And once again, we identify that, then it becomes about saying, okay, how can we get that need met in another way? If I'm eating to self-soothe, what are some other things that I can do to self-soothe? If I'm eating because I'm bored, what can I do to address my boredom, mm-hmm. right? Um and so looking at some of the, the emotional eating triggers and helping to create action plans to address that. And then obviously looking at mindfulness in your relationship with food, looking at how aware and connected you are to your eating. So many of us eat on autopilot, right? We are not there. We are not present. We are not connected to our food and we just eat. And um, I use this example a lot, but the idea of 
you know, sitting there eating something and maybe you're watching TV or you're on the phone or something like that. And you look down to take another bite and you realize your food is gone. Hmm. And the idea there is that you've been totally disconnected from your eating to the point where you didn't even realize that you finished your food. And that's a huge part of the way we eat because we almost always eat as a society while we are doing something else. So that may be working, right? A lot of people work, eat at their desk while they're working. It may be watching TV. It may be being on our phone, on our tablet, but it's almost always in front of a screen. And if you're eating in front of a screen, it means that your eating is kind of your primary, I mean, your secondary behavior. And that screen, whatever's on that screen is your primary behavior. So you're not actually focused on your food, focused on the other thing. And because of that, you disconnect from your food. And when you're disconnected from your food, then you don't appreciate it, you don't savor it, and you don't achieve the satiation level that you should, that that contentment from your meal is missing, and it leaves us scrounging for more. We're always looking for that because we're not there. So when you can start building in mindful eating skills and really start to connect with your food in, in a healthier way, it starts to change that relationship with food where you're not you're not you're not giving in to cravings, you're not having cravings, you're you know, feeling healthier about the way you eat and and truly savoring each bite, right? Which is a, a foreign concept for a lot of people. Completely foreign. And and I love that. So give us a couple of good examples of ways that we can be more mindful and, and, and a, or, you know, of how we do this and, sure. and to savor our food and use it as nourishment as opposed to just filler. And don't do what sure. I do because you didn't mention the one that I do. Are you ready? Uh-oh. I eat Uh-oh. my car because I don't have time. I eat breakfast, lunch, and possibly any snacks in my car because that's you know, if I'm driving somewhere, I don't have, I don't, it's not that I don't have the time. I don't make the time to really sit down yeah. and have that yeah. mindful connection. And, yeah. and that's a huge problem. I know for me, it's a huge problem. I know I need to address and be better with that. But I think there's a lot of people, again, like you said, the screen, well, my screen is driving. So I don't yeah. even, that's what I was just going to you know, say. Yeah. That's, that's the version of your screen. Ideally, I mean, hopefully driving is your primary thing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and it, yeah. And so then eating becomes secondary. It's something you're doing while you're doing something else. And so your focus is on driving, not on eating. So you don't get that connection. And so when we talk about developing mindful eating skills and becoming more connected with our food, the first thing I talk about is eating screen free. So taking those screens away from your meals whenever possible. So, you know, if you're sitting down in front of a TV to eat, just turn the TV off while you eat and just be present, right? Be connected to your food. Have that be your focus. And it's amazing how hard that can be for people in the beginning, but it's also amazing how impactful that can be for people. And when I have people start doing this, they come back to me with all sorts of feedback. Like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. It it felt so strange at first. And then, you know, I felt so good and I found myself eating less because I was eating slower and I was more aware of how full I was getting and I was more connected to that. And, you know, I found my food tasted so much better in the beginning. And then, you know, I didn't have that drive for it so much anymore. Right. And so what they're doing is they're, they're slowing down their eating because they're kind of connecting to it. Um, so eating screen free is a huge part of, of mindful eating. And people talk all, you know, all about chewing, right? And taking time to chew. 
because anything that slows down your eating helps build mindful eating skills. And so what I talk about, instead of kind of counting your chews, which sounds really <laughs> awful to do, <laughs> I, I talk about um, hands-free eating and really hands-free chewing. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, for most of us, when we, when we eat, let's say we're eating a bowl of pasta, right? So maybe we make our little fork full of pasta, we put it in our mouth, and then the second that fork leaves our mouth, what it does is it goes back to our bowl of pasta, makes our next fork full, and then comes up and sits in front of our mouth while we're chewing the bite that's already in there. And what that does is, one, it focuses us on the food on the fork as opposed to the food in our mouth. Two, it triggers us to eat faster, to hurry up and swallow so that we can get that next workful in. And essentially, it's another aspect of disconnecting us from the present and moving us into the future. Not all that different from focusing on a TV instead of our eating. And so when I talk about hands-free chewing, what I'm talking about is take your bite and then put your fork down and chew your food, right? Do not have a utensil in your hand while you are chewing. And then once you're done chewing, you can pick up your fork, make your next forkful, and put it in your mouth and start chewing again. And this is one of the hardest things for people because almost nobody eats this way. And it can take a meal that normally takes you three minutes and make it take 15 minutes because your chewing is drastically slowed when you don't have that trigger in front of you saying, hurry up and chew faster so you can put this in. I wish you would come so, to our houses oh, for the holidays and maybe do uh -huh. a tutorial for all the family members and children. So, you know, with the shoveling of the, you know, mouth open chewing, shoveling of food, you know, kind That's of like shoveling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I don't think it would oh, be yeah. enough if it came from me. But I feel like if it came from you, it's right. a little, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to. <laughs> Although maybe you guys want to come to me. And yeah, I, no, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm down. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and, and like even just, you know, what I was thinking when you were when you said, you know, the screen and getting away from the screen and getting and doing that. I was I was thinking to myself, you might even realize that there's somebody else in the room with you eating and you can yeah. connect. Connect, with, the, connect yeah. with them instead of whoever's talking at you on uh -huh. that screen. Oh, relationships yeah. are important in this Connections, world. Connections, right? Oh. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, definitely. How about, uh, how about smells, aromas, uh, you know, th things like that, or, or even considering where it is that your food came from? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, again, this is all part of the, the concept of mindful eating, right? Mindful eating has many, many different aspects. I just talked about two of them and sure. you talked about a couple more, right? So, you know, how many people, when they sit down to their meal, do they take a minute to look at their food, to smell their food, to appreciate the fact that they're having food, right? To think about where their food came from and what was involved in getting that food to their plate, right? I mean, it it's, takes, you know, maybe 15 seconds to do all of that but it completely changes your, your awareness and your appreciation of that meal. And that impact is really considerable. Um, also tied to that is, is the idea of stress and how, you know, eating under stress impacts your body and fast eating, right. Eating in a rush, Christine, like you talked about, right. I'm, I'm in a hurry. I gotta go. I gotta go. And um, you know, I'm, I'm rushing to wherever I'm going. So I'm eating in the car, you know, it often suggests eating in a state of stress, physical stress in your body. And stress actually inhibits the absorption of micro and macronutrients. Stress can deplete the stored nutrients in our body. 
Um, stress slows down our digestion, which makes food sit in our system longer and, and makes us prevent the breakdown of those vital nutrients. Stress can wreak havoc with your GI tract and negatively affect the bacteria in your gut. So eating under stress has all of these negative consequences. And you can change that by simply taking a few slow, deep breaths before you start eating. I mean, literally calm your body down, right? And and who does that, <laughs> right? When they sit down to eat, say, okay, let me just take a few deep breaths here. And, you know, part of that can be taking the moment to appreciate my food, like you mentioned, you know, thinking about where my food came from and what was involved in that and how it got here and how lucky I am to have it. And then, you know, let your body get calm and then eat. And simply doing something like that can actually change the nutrient process of your food, how much nutrition you get from your meal, because you're, you're calming some of the hormones in your body, particularly cortisol, which is our stress hormone. But calming the cortisol response in your body changes how much of the nutrient content we're able to absorb from our food, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. This is all so fantastic. And I, I just, like, I, I love this stuff and, and, uh, and, and, and it's just everything. And what I'm just sitting here listening to, we've talked about the relationships. We've talked about, uh, you know, the feelings of it, the emotion of it, the behavior of it, uh, the connection with it, the mindfulness of it. And what we don't, we don't talk about yet, which is something that all the diets are stressed upon and, and are created by is the actual food, right? And mm-hmm. like actually what people are eating. And I think that yep. one of the reasons why they are so convenient for people is because it's like, all right, here's your list and this is what you need mm-hmm. and here you go and you go to the store and yep. you get it and then the next thing you know, you know, it again has an effect on you and, mm-hmm. um, you know, but what we're not, like we, we haven't touched on any of it yet is like yep. the actual food because it's not as significant as most would think, right? It's really not and it's not something that I hyper-focus on at all in my practice because you know, it becomes a little irrelevant as you get all the rest of this stuff down. Um, you know, as you start to change your relationship with food, as you start to slow your eating down, as you start to focus on, you know, how food makes you feel and eating out of hunger and eating to achieve satiation, most people naturally gravitate towards more nutrient-dense foods. And, you know, because they're, they're more aware of how food makes them feel, and so when I do talk about food content and actual, you know, specific types of food, that's really what I talk about. How does food make you feel? And, you know, most people will start to gravitate more towards quote unquote real foods, right? As opposed to the fake foods, Franken foods, right? As we like to call them, mm-hmm. um, because they realize how good they feel when they're eating real food. Um, and so I do talk a little bit about, um, something I call ingredient sabotage and the way some ingredients can can mess with us, can, you know, impact our perception of self-control and the concept of food technology, right? The development of all these heavily processed foods and that they're basically made to prey on our weaknesses and subject us to cravings and set us up to perceive ourselves as having lack of control around food. Um, in the nutrition world, these Ingredients are called excitotoxins. They're ingredients that are made to make us hyper appeal to receptors in our brain and ultimately cause us to overeat. And that's um, MSG, monosodium glutamate, and all of its derivatives. 
as well as artificial sweeteners, which are often hiding in a lot of foods that are meant to be quote unquote diet foods, right? They're low calorie. Um, but, you know, when you start to become aware of these foods and how these foods make you feel, people tend to not want them in their diet as much because they realize that they don't feel good when they consume them. They don't, they don't feel strong. They don't feel in control. They don't feel capable. They don't feel happy. They don't feel well. And, you know, when you start to become aware of that, you just naturally want to gravitate away from those kinds of foods, which is, you know, a bonus. So um, I do look at that. And sometimes I will have people do what I call like a real food challenge where I have them just make a goal of eating, quote unquote, real food for a week, right? Whole foods or, or foods where they recognize all the ingredients in them for a week and just track how they feel, right? Pay attention to that. Pay attention to their energy level, their sleep, their digestion, their overall feeling of wellness and contentment and and see what it does for them. And that usually has a big impact on their eating decisions, their food choices. So ingredient sabotage. Let's go back to this Mm -hmm. for a second. Sure. So again, Brian and I are huge advocates of just eat real food. Mm -hmm. Forget the extra you know, you need extra protein and you're taking a pill or you're doing a, you know, again, I, I do think depending on your level of fitness, if you are a professional athlete, sometimes, you know, you do need a lot more. Sometimes, again, supplements, if you are sick or you actually have mm-hmm. a medical issue where you need, you know, sure. you need extra protein or something's not working in your body, we are all for it. However, sure. the average person who's like, you know, I'm just going to, just going to replace my meals with this and this and this. Um, we are a hundred percent for it. Let's eat the fruits and vegetables. Let's try and have less ingredients that we have no idea how to pronounce. And we, yes. Google, and we Google them and it still doesn't make any sense. Um, uh-huh. and I think, you know, the average person does, you know, is aware. I do think that we have at least started a little bit of a movement to educate our, you know, our world, I will say that, about you mm-hmm. should be looking at your ingredients. People yeah, are aware of that word frankenfood or things that are grown in factories or scraped off, you know, sludge that's <laughs> scraped off of plants and put into something, you know. But there is, you know, ingredient sabotage, though. People do crave that salt. They do crave that sugar. and. Yeah. How do well, you, and those foods yeah. are made to make them do that. Yeah, I that's mean, they're designed specifically to make you crave them. It's a brilliant business model. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what they're made to do. They're, they're made to trigger these receptors in our brain that say, give me more, give me more. It, and I, that's like why nicotine. people feel like they're out of control. Yeah. I call it food, yeah, food was, nicotine is what I say sometimes. I'm like, I you're call addicted it to cocaine. It. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Cocaine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll take your nicotine and raise you a cocaine. <laughs> Thank you, Candace. <laughs> but it is. Well, I mean, when we talk about the, the brain impacts, it's not that dissimilar from any drug addiction um, because it does, you know, appeal to those same types of receptors and cause those same neurotransmitters to release. And so that becomes a little addictive. Right. You want that dopamine release. Now, when you, you know, yeah, I mean, you just have to pay attention. Right. Like you said, start reading ingredients. Look, look out for things you don't know. And there's certain things I always tell people to look out for. To look out for words like glutamate, to look out for words like hydrolyzed, to look out for words like partially hydrogenated, to look out for anything that starts with the word modified, like modified food starch. Right. 
or anything along those lines where you're like, I'm not quite sure what that is or what that means, right? If you don't know, it's probably not a good thing for you. And, you know, if you're able to start looking out for those things and start avoiding those things, again, you usually start to feel better. And, and when you start to feel better, that becomes reinforcing in and of itself. You want that feeling to continue. You want that to keep happening. And so you're more motivated to keep making those same decisions. So what's interesting is that you said, you know, you challenge people to take a real food challenge mm-hmm. for like a week. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we're hoping that they're going to feel better. However, yeah. what we just talked about, how it impacts the brain, impacts your behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, we're talking now, you know, you're addicted to something and you talk cocaine. Mm-hmm. You, Hey, no cocaine for this week. Mm. <laughs> so do you get that? Flip, do you get that flip side? And how do you, how do you handle that when they say, I tried this and I feel like absolute garbage because that does happen. Yeah, it can happen. And sometimes it takes a little longer than a week. Sometimes it can take two, three weeks. But the reality is there are all sorts of other negative side effects that are coming from eating that way. And it may be that they're having skin problems. It may be that they're tired all the time or having these major blood sugar drops and not feeling like they have sustained energy throughout the day. It may be that they, they're having, you know, some scalp issues or, you know, um, you know, just, just general taste issues. Maybe they're having dry mouth all the time. Right? There's all these other symptoms that we don't even realize we're having that come from eating all of these fake foods. And almost always when somebody starts eating real food, even for just a week, some of those symptoms start to diminish. And if you can help people identify that and see the connection, really connect the dots, then again, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'm still, I'm still a little bit longing for that dopamine release I get from that crazy you know, processed food, but oh my gosh, this thing that I've been struggling with for years has started to get better this week. Or yeah, I really have had more energy this week, or I haven't had any real gastrointestinal distress this week, or, you know, I really feel like my skin is starting to look better, right? Those kind of things, when if they're able to connect the dots and notice that, again, those things become incredibly reinforcing and make people want to keep going. You and I have felt the best. This is crazy. This is, I always tell this to people sometimes the best I always remember feeling health wise is uh-huh. when I've been on vacation before and not just because you're kind of, you know, a little less stressed, but I always remember, you know, throughout my twenties, thirties, if I would ever go for a week, whether it's wherever it is eating food that say, say it was like Jamaica, right? Go to Jamaica. All the food is fresh, fresh, all the food's mm-hmm. fresh. You're eating, you know, fresh fish or fresh, you know, I mean, whatever else they have, but the fruits, the vegetables, um, maybe you're getting a little bit more sleep. It's a little warmer. You're drinking a lot of extra water. And I always Mm. remember feeling fantastic. Or they're not big, gigantic, huge American portions. I mean, there's a lot of buffets where you can (laughs) gorge yourself, but I just remember how amazing I feel because I'm not dumping, you know, I'm I'm not eating packaged things for that. And again, Mm -hmm. that's seven days. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty decent time to flush that body out. And Mm -hmm. I always remember coming home being like, I feel so great. And then Mm -hmm. there's that packaged thing. And that first thing you get, you're like, wow, that's a lot saltier or sweeter than I remember (laughs) when I left. Uh And it's just such a powerful thing because you do, it's almost like you flush your body, you don't miss it and you get it back again. And you're like, oh wow, that is strong. And then you want more. It's, it's just a fascinating thing to think of and, and the impact, again, the effect we talk about with your 
with your body and your mind because then it becomes a habit like me and my damn car eating, you know? (laughs) So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people talk about that all the time when they, when they cut sugar out of their diet and then all of a sudden they have something sweet, they are overwhelmed by how sweet it is. Right. And something that they used to eat massive quantities of all the time and they're sitting there going, I can only have a bite or two of this. This is just way too sweet for me. Right. So, you know, your taste buds start to change. You become more sensitive to a lot of these things when you cut them out. And people realize just how intense that is when they make these kind of changes. How, how much really of that powerful. is how much of that is related to the brain? Uh, you say taste buds. And of course, that that's the first, you know, uh, receptor or the place that it's hitting. Is, is that um, brain related? Is the brain kind of get triggered uh, way too much from that? Or is it just strictly taste? It, it's it's both. Right. I mean, it's ultimately a sensitivity. Right. The more you have something, the less sensitive you are to it, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when if you have, so uh, spicy foods, for example, people who have very low tolerance for spicy foods, if they have them all the time, right, eventually they're going to start becoming less sensitive to it. And, you know, that desensitization process, and they become able to tolerate it more and more and more. But then if they stop having spicy foods for a while, and then all of a sudden have a spicy meal, again, now they're going to be more sensitive to it and they're going to react to it. It's no different with sugar, right? I mean, you have sugar all the time. You get less and less sensitive to sweet, but, you know, you take a break from it for a while and then you come back to it and now you're sensitive to it again. And you, you know, you really taste the sweetness, something that you may not have noticed or appreciated when you were having it all the time. All right. So this is a great bridge to what we want you to speak about a little bit today. Now, it's one thing to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to make a big change in my life. I'm going to change my diet. I want to eat more healthy. I'm going to go, you know, all natural and whole grain and whole this and with with all the mindfulness. With all the with all the mindfulness and I mean well. Heart in the right place. It, right place and now you I got to hear you speak about this um, at an SCW convention. And I mm-hmm. love this because this is now, this did not exist. I, I don't know how many years ago, but people now have swung that pendulum in the entire opposite direction. And now it's, I am so restrictive with, I can only eat things if they are mm-hmm. handpicked by a beautiful woman um, wearing a red outfit <laughs> in Guatemala and hand washed it with her tears and it was shipped in, you know, a Bible cloth. And so right now you mentioned it's called orthorexia and it yes. fascinated me because I'm sure all of our listeners could probably think of a couple people. It could be them or maybe someone uh-huh. they know that is almost all consumed by yep eating healthy or only doing, you know, now their restriction is not just, you know, their, you know, maybe anorexia or bulimia or whatever that is. Now it has become something else. Will you explain what that is and go? Yeah. Well, I mean, whenever there's a focus on anything, right, there's going to be the opportunity to take it too far or have it be extreme, right? And the obesity epidemic has definitely forced a focus on healthy lifestyles, which in general is a good thing. Yay, I know, we're trying. Yeah, and then social media, like Instagram, basically inundates people with pictures of healthy eating, people with six-pack abs, all sorts of memes telling people pain is gain, right? And this 
sets people up to develop orthorexia, which is basically this extreme fixation over the quality and pureness of food. And this is ultimately in the psychological world what is being deemed as the next eating disorder. It's not yet in our diagnostic manual, but people believe it's going to be added into the next iteration of it. And this is, again, the the opposite end of the pendulum, right? And it includes a number of symptoms like compulsively checking of ingredients and nutrition panels, cutting out increasing numbers of food groups, um, being highly inflexible with your food choices, um, having an unusual interest in the health of what others are eating, um, having high levels of distress over eating unhealthy foods, obsessively following health-related social media. Um, there are things that, you know, in, in a balanced perspective, all sound kind of healthy, but they take them to the extreme. And um, these are people that, again, tend to think in black and white, all or nothing terms, and they don't allow themselves any wiggle room. And eating consumes their thoughts in an extreme way. And a lot of times you see social interactions become impaired because so many social interactions revolve around food and ortho orthorexics tend to withdraw socially because of that, because their food is planned out and structured. They can't just go out and get a drink with their friend and go out, go out for a meal that's been unplanned because they've already fixed their macros for the week and, you know, planned their, their food for the day. And so they can't deviate from that at all. So orthorexia um, has a lot of features that parallel the symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder, um, which is an anxiety disorder. And, um, you know, in this population, people are just consumed with thoughts of food, exercise, and planning. And so it's basically this extreme version of healthy eating, right? All of the behaviors, if, if they're taken in kind of a moderate way with an 80-20 mentality, None of them are problematic. It's just that they're taken to this 100% all or nothing place. And there there is no wiggle room. And that's where it becomes problematic. Now, do you see people who, you know, maybe suffering from orthorexia? Now, do you see them losing an extreme amount of weight? Or is it just... Um, is it more of the behavior? Well, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. And they're usually people who, have, who are in really good shape. They're not people who need to lose okay. any weight. Um, they're just very, very rigid. And it's not really about weight loss with this population. It's about health, right? They're f- hyper-focused on nutrition. And, you know, that's why they're, they're constantly, you know, checking macros, checking ingredients, right? Um, sourcing their foods, things like that, you know, where it's really, really about the health value and the quality and the pureness of their food way, way more than it is about weight. These are not, this is not a population that's generally focused on weight. So it's, it's almost as if to say like the stress and the obsession and the energy that's giving mm-hmm. to doing the right thing is just as unhealthy as doing the wrong thing. <laughs> it, you know, it's like, it, you know, it's, it's, it can be as unhealthy. I, you know, stressful eating is, is, you know, is, and the stress of really doing the right thing. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. they always say like, don't let perfection get in the way of good. Um, but you know, it, it, and it can be that it's like, that stress is unhealthy too. So we have yeah. to, the behavior yeah. is unhealthy, not necessarily the eating. Yes. Well, and in the, in the mental health world, right, when we talk about diagnoses for psychological conditions, most of the time a contributing factor in diagnostic criteria 
is whether or not something impairs your quality of life, whether or not it, it has a, a negative impact on, you know, the way you live your life or your functioning. And that's exactly what this does is that it impacts people's quality of life. It has them withdrawing socially. It has them, you know, complying with these rigid structures that they've put in place for themselves. For example, I can only shop at this store. I have to do it every Sunday and Thursday. I have to eat my meals at this time. If something comes up at that time, I just can't do it because that's the structure I follow. I am only allowed to eat out once a week and it has to be at one of these four restaurants and I can only order this food in this way. It's a prison. And yeah. And that rigidity impairs their quality of life, right? It it creates this withdrawal more and more and more where they, they socially isolate. And that social impact is a huge part of quality of life. And so you do see those impairments there, which is what makes it uh, a mental health concern. So we've got people that are either not very healthy, maybe overweight, but they're happy versus the person who's like, <laughs> everything is perfect on their health charts, uh-huh. yet they're uh-huh. psychologically impaired and obsessive it's like and probably not happy right as you just said right they're if you were to really say are you happy and finding joy in your life right they probably would struggle to say yes to that and and it's just getting back to it again like it just has very little to do with the actual substance you know this this it's it's the behavior and yeah you know and and we we behavior and the mindset yeah and and you know that's the difficult thing to because that's never present when it when the you know the topic of nutrition and you know I'm a health coach and I talk to people about this and I always say you know how's your job how's your life how's your relationships how's like all this you happy? shit that goes on that like is a real nourishment in your life you yell at me about it yeah. let's be honest <laughs> right so you eating in your damn car <laughs> Conti like like uh, you know but it, you know it's like okay you know a lot of that you know it just it just weighs I guess to use it. Poor, right. poor, poor yeah. word. It weighs a whole lot more than than, <laughs> than the calories do. Yeah. Well, yeah. The impact is much more long term. So why I'm is that sure lost on people? Healthy. Why is that lost on people? Why is that not the biggest factor? I mean, why is it that even you know dietitians and thing focus on di- and things diet people like that focus on diets? Food, yeah. Why is it? Why is it so lost on people that that the the long game and the the way to success and 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 not you know just the short term effect that these diets have on people. Why is that lost on on us as a society? Well, again, I mean, as societally speaking, I mean, all of us want the quick fix. All of us want to see an impact right now. And again, that's much more attractive. It's much sexier. It's much more powerful, right? And if I said, hey, you can do this thing and lose ten pounds this month, or you can do this thing and lose ten pounds this year. What's everybody going to choose, right. right? We want that thing that gives us that instant gratification. And it's only when we've been down that road so many times that we start to realize that we need something that does appeal to the more long-term thing. But we almost have to have had that experience and had that disappointment to be able to actually start to, to change our perspective on that. And then on the flip side, again, we go back to the impact of kind of the obesity epidemic that's been going on in our country for so long now. And, you know, the the flip side with that more focus now on health and wellness and dietary changes. And, you know, we think that's a positive thing. But then, again, with orthorexia, you see how that can also get taken to the extreme, just like, you know, dieting culture can. 
this is I again I I'm just shaking my head because we sit here <laughs> and there's so much to this. There's so many layers of the onion that I wish that everyone, you know, had a live-in coach or had support with them or had someone that said, you know what, listen, you know, you're overweight, we're obsessing about this or this or this. Let's let's just see things at the bigger picture. Are you mm-hmm. happy? What's going on? You know, is, is this too much? It, and that I think is, is the lost art. Now I would love for you to tell our listeners now, okay, they've tried a bunch of diets or maybe they see if it's themselves or someone else going through, you know, orthorexia or going through, I've, I've just, I'm frustrated where, what's the best advice that you could tell somebody? I mean, really my single piece of advice to everybody focused on health is always to try and live a balanced life with everything you do, from food to exercise to work, whatever it is. Let yourself off the hook every now and then and just enjoy your life, right? I mean, changing from an all-or-nothing thinking mentality about anything and moving into an 80-20 mindset, right? The idea of simply saying, you know, most of the time I'm going to try and do this or emphasize this, But sometimes I'm not, and that's okay, right? I'm allowed to do this every now and then. I'm allowed to have a cupcake every now and then. There's nothing wrong with that if it makes me feel good, right? If I enjoy it, if if it's impacting my quality of life in a good way, then it's something that you should allow yourself to do and feel good about, right? So it's about essentially avoiding the extreme nature of anything and everything, And, you know, that extreme is what you see in just about everything from a relationship with food standpoint, whether it be dieting, whether it be obesity, whether it be orthorexia, it's just the extreme nature of everything. So breaking away from that and just trying to be a little more balanced can have such a huge impact on your overall wellness. And now how do you, what do you tell people about going to talk to someone like you? Um, why would it be more beneficial for someone again to come to you that's really frustrated than, you know, possibly go to a friend or a family member? What are they going to get from you or someone like you that they won't get from them? Well, essentially they're going to get, well, obviously I'm, I'm a neutral third party with some objectivity into their life, right? That's important. But, uh, yes, of course. But, you know, really I am going to, or anybody who does what I do, is going to help them look at their their behaviors, their thinking, their lifestyle, and help them identify where they are standing in their own way, right? Where they are really roadblocking themselves. Because sometimes it's a really hard thing to see in your own life. And even I know that, right? But having somebody else look and say, this is the way that you're standing in your own way. What can you do about it? And let's put together an action plan to do that. And not only being able to help them identify that and help them change that, but also providing them with the accountability to do that, right? Because sometimes just having somebody else paying attention can be a really powerful motivator for us. So, you know, providing them that awareness, that insight, that that direction, and, you know, that oversight, all of those things are what really help the population that I work with. This is so beautiful. This is like, you know, this is like everything. This is, 
this is candy for me. All right, this is uh, this is oh, hitting those uh, this is hitting those receptors just the same as uh, you know as, as a Reese's Pieces would. Um, nice, because <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, it's it's just like it's everything that we that we need to be talking about when it comes to this uh, topic and nah, subject. I, that, well, I completely agree. Good, good. So, uh, so tell us now. I mean, we can do this forever, but we really want to um, have the people get off and uh, from listening to this and go and search your sites and research more for themselves. Um, tell us more about how they can reach out to you, how they can connect with you, where you are on social media and all that. Well, of course. Um, well, they can go to my website, theweightlosstherapist.com. Um, that's really the easiest way to kind of get a feel for how they can work with me or what they can do. Um, all of my social media handles are on there. Um, I am on Facebook at Weight Loss Psychologist. Um, I am on Instagram at Weight Loss Therapist. And um, on my website, I also offer a bunch of um, really useful free guides for people that they can download to talk about, you know, some changes they can make in their relationship with food, um, changes they can make to mealtime with, you know, out putting in a lot of effort that will result in some long-term weight loss. Um, and other issues like that. So there's a lot of great content on there. Um, and that's also an easy way to get in contact with me. My contact information is also on. In looking at the site, there are freebies on there. Go get them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have a bunch on there right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So Candace, it has been an absolute pleasure. I am super excited. We're going to share all your information on our social media platforms, on our website, cool. and cool. you know, definitely get this information out to our listeners. And as I said, everyone listening right now, you know, we talk about fitness and we talk about you know what you can do to live a better, more quality life. And again, eating certain foods—that's only part of it. And really getting your mind right and your mindset and the way you look at food and the way you view working out as not working out, but working in, I think that goes for nutrition as well. We're, we're fueling Mm -hmm. our bodies. This is not just, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, I'm guilty of being busy and eating in my car, but it, it's the way that you look at things. The other thing that I have to say is that at night though, even though I eat in my car, I sit down every single night with my husband. We put a little tray of vegetables out. And, you know, you talk are about you, relaxing. Are you, are before, you justifying your mm-hmm. behavior I right am, now? I am. I'm a little bit. Because <laughs> there's got to be a balance, right? So for, uh-huh. I'm not perfect, but I'm just saying, so about <laughs> relaxing, I have a glass of red wine and mm-hmm. I sit down with my husband for, you know, 45 minutes, whatever. We, how was your day? What's going on? We talk to the kids, have, you know, little vegetables and whatever before we eat, which is that's one of my routines. It's a positive Mm -hmm. routine because it helps our mindset, helps connect as a family. And for those people looking for what are some ways that are practical that I don't have time, but I want to catch up. And we put down the phones. We put, you know, we mute or turn off the television for a little while and just be and connect. And that is the time. So again, whatever that does for people, that's the mindset. Um, It could be just something little, um, but I would love for everyone to, you know, reach out to you online, get resources. Um, and I know that this year you are, you didn't say this yet, but you're going to be presenting at the SCW fitness conventions. What else are you up to yes. this year? Yes. Um, I, I am going to be doing many of the SCW fitness conventions. Um, I always am, I have a, a book out called shatter the yo-yo and I do a lot of book promotion for that. Um, so I, I do, um, a lot of presentations around the country regarding that. 
Um, but mostly my, I'm online and, and that's what I do because my goal is to try and help as many people as I can, touch as many people as I can. And, and that seems to be the way to, to get to the most people. So I'm always online. I'm always on social media. I'm always kind of available and accessible. And that's really my goal is to, to be accessible to people, to not just be, you know, a website, but to actually be a human being, a person that people can, can talk to, people can email, people can reach out to, people can schedule time with. And so that's really kind of what I try and make myself available for. So good. Well, thank you again for coming on and spending your time with us. And uh, I can't wait for our listeners to do this. We'll get you all this information out and share with your listeners as well and all the people you know because we want to uh, change lives. That's our job. And we want them to abs- so we want much. them to absorb this, and then we want to have you back again to do it over. I would love to <laughs> yeah. anytime. All right, all right. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank awesome. you. And with that said, my name is Christine Conti, and I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies, and the microphone we are where it's at. Peace. <laughs>